0: As we get started this today, I'm going to do a little bit of review uh, from last week, um, since I went so fast that some of you missed it, so I'll, I'll try to slow down. So we're going to do a little bit of review and just a little bit of concepts before we begin into our lesson today, which is going to be dealing with the times of the Gentiles. But uh, before we get that, I want to just make sure we have a clear understanding of the concepts and the terms that we use during this study and as you study the prophetic things that's coming up. The first one I want to mention is the last days. We hear the firm, are we in the last days? Well, the last days began with the end of the the first advent. So when Christ ascended into heaven, and then when Pentecost came, the church began. So the the last days is the last time period on earth that the curse that came from Adam is still going to be in place as far as the curse on the, the creation. So here we have the last stages of human history uh, until the day of the Lord. Now the day of the Lord is what's coming after the last days. So the last days is the, what we call the age of grace or the church age. So during this age from Pentecost until the rapture of the church. So the, the last days began officially at Pentecost and will officially end at the beginning of the Day of the Lord. Now the Day of the Lord comes as a thief unexpectedly upon the world. And the event that brings in the Day of the Lord is the beginning of the second advent, which is the second coming of Christ. And the second advent is that time period from the rapture to the second coming of Christ to earth, the revelation of Christ, to begin to set up the kingdom. So From Pentecost until the rapture, or the beginning of the day of the Lord, is the last days. It's the age of grace. It's the church age. It's the time period in which you're not going to see God sending down judgments, supernatural judgments from heaven. It is the age of grace where God is storing up His wrath to be poured out in the beginning of the day of the Lord. Okay, so understand that. So when we talk about the last days, it's the entire time of the church age or the age of grace. Okay. Now, when we have the day of the Lord, it begins with the beginning of the second advent. Now, the second advent is what our detailed study is going to individually be about, is the details of the chronology of the book of Revelation. But the second advent is the entirety of the events of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming as the bridegroom for his bride, which is at the rapture of the church. He's coming to judge the Gentile nations, which will be during the tribulation time, especially at the end of the tribulation when he comes back physically glorified, revealed to destroy the Antichrist and the armies of the Antichrist. And he's coming to set up his kingdom, to set up the kingdom for Israel. So he's a a coming bridegroom, he's a coming judge, and he's a coming king. And all these are the, the elements or the events of the second advent, which happens at the beginning of the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord will continue from the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation time until the new heaven and new earth. So if you was reading in Second Peter, uh, as, as, as Peter is talking about the coming day of judgment, when he says that there will be in the last days, there'll be scoffers. So during this time, it's like it was in the days of Noah, as we're as we're getting closer to the end of this age, it'll be just as it was in the days of Noah when he, Noah was getting close to the end of preparing the ark. And as they were watching the ark being completely prepared and being ready for the rain or the flood that was coming, they scoffed and they didn't believe that there was coming a flood. But as Noah got to the finishing point of the ark, they would have known that if it was coming, the time was now. We're at the last stages of the age of grace, or the church age, and we're seeing the preparation for the coming judgment. The events that are going on right now are part, are partly part of those things that are leading up to the coming judgment. So we're in that age of grace that's leading up to the coming judgment. So the day of the Lord will begin, like it says in 1 Thessalonians, I mean 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, when Paul says, you don't have to be worried about the timing of the rapture, know this well, that the day of the Lord come as a thief of night, and while they are saying, peace and safety. And it's similar to what they were saying in Noah's day. While they're eating and drinking and marrying and giving marriage, while they're saying that everything's going to continue just like it always has, then suddenly the, the day of the Lord begins. And it begins, firstly, with a day of judgment. Now, the Israel people are looking forward to the day of the Lord, thinking it's the day of the Lord's restoration, the day of the Lord's blessing, the day of the Lord's... Uh, being king over them and Messiah over them. But they fail to realize that the beginning of the day of the Lord is not a day of blessing, it's a day of judgment. And they will be judged. Okay, so uh, in Second Peter chapter 3, in verse 10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and the, the, the works will be burned up. So he's talking about at the end of the millennial kingdom, This heaven and this earth that we have had for 6,000 years, and and it will be 7,000 years more, I mean, after the millennial kingdom, this earth will be destroyed completely. And then it says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So we have the last days, which is all the time up until the day of the Lord. Then we have the day of the Lord, which goes through the millennial kingdom and through the final judgment and to the creation of the new heaven, new earth. And that's when Jesus then gives the kingdom up, the kingdom that he has been lord over on the millennial side on this earth. He now gives it up to God and it will be transferred to the new earth. And then we have the eternal day of God, and that will be the eternal Place that we will spend with God forever and ever in the eternal day of God, which is the time frame on the new earth that's going to be created, like it says in Revelation 21 and 22. So any questions about that? you got three more stages of of days or uh, time periods. It's the last days, which will end with the rapture of the church and the beginning of the day of the Lord. You have the day of the Lord, which will end with the Destruction of this earth and the final judgment of the great white throne, and then you will have the eternal day beginning and lasting forever, which is the eternal, our eternal destiny, which is the new new earth, and God's throne that comes down from heaven, and, and the new Jerusalem will be on that earth, and we will be there forever and ever. Any questions? So that just kind of gives you a framework for understanding. Now our our entire class is titled. Preparing for the kingdom. So we're preparing for the, the thousand-year kingdom. And in doing that, we're going to be examining the events of the second advent or the events of the second coming that lead up to the kingdom. So uh, that's what the, the main focus is. But to give you a, a perspective on the entirety of what's going on and the time frame that it, that it appears at. Okay. Now, last week we talked about the... God's promises for Israel, which culminate in a Messianic kingdom. But when we talked about that, we mentioned the fact of the 70 weeks of Daniel, right? Okay, today we're going to be talking about the times of the Gentiles. Now, as we, get, as we look at the preparation for the kingdom age, there's, two, there's three phases, that have, the three things that have to happen before the kingdom begins and it deals with the three entities that are involved with both the second advent and the kingdom. The three entities are the church, the Gentile kingdoms, and Israel. So so when Jesus is speaking to Israel after they rejected the Messiah and at the end of his um, ministry to them, he makes that famous statement in Matthew 23 that says, How often I would have gathered you together, Israel, but you rejected me, and you would not. And then he says, Behold, your house is being left to you desolate, for I say to you from now on, you shall not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So the the kingdom will not begin until Israel acknowledges Jesus as their Messiah. Now when would that be? At the end of the tribulation, after they go through the times of Jacob's trouble, after they see the two witnesses resurrected in Jerusalem at the midpoint of the tribulation, and they hear the preaching of the 144,000 and the, the declaration, declaration from the, in the heavens from the angels, they're going to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And at the end of the tribulation, as a nation, they will call upon him as their king and as their Messiah, and he will come back and deliver them. So the first until is until Israel acknowledges Jesus as their Messiah, he he will not come. The second until is in, in Luke chapter 21, where he's talking about the fact that Israel will be destroyed. It says they will, this is 70 A.D., it says, Woe to those who are with child and those who are nurse babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the, sword, the edge of the sword, and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And so, until the Jews acknowledge Jesus as their, as their Messiah, and until the, Gent- the time of Gentiles is fulfilled, the kingdom cannot happen. So, when is the time the Gentiles fulfilled? No, no, no. The times of the Gentiles, don't get confused, and that's my fault. The times of the Gentiles is not the same thing as the fullness of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles is referring to Daniel's prophecy about four Gentile kingdoms that are going to trodden down Jerusalem. Okay, so when we look at the times of the Gentiles, it begins with Nebuchadnezzar, and we'll show it just a minute on the board, begins with Nebuchadnezzar, and it ends with the Antichrist. And so the Antichrist is the last ruler of the time of the Gentile rule over Israel. So from 586 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed Jerusalem and took Zedekiah captive and took him back to Babylon, poked his eyes out, and he died in Babylon, there hasn't been a king over Israel, a Jewish king over Israel, and there won't be another one until Jesus comes. And during that time the Gentiles are going to trodden down Jerusalem. And so until the times of the Gentiles is referring to the time of the Gentile domination of Jerusalem is over. And that will happen when Christ comes back in Revelation 19, the King of kings, Lord of lords, and he destroys the armies of the Antichrist. He kills the Antichrist and then resurrects him and casts him to the lake of fire. And that will end the times of the Gentiles. So that's the times of the Gentile rule. And I have to be careful because sometimes I get that confused because in Romans 11 is the other until. In Romans 11, Paul is talking about God's plan for Israel. So in Revelation chapter 11, when Paul is talking about, um, or 9 through 11, he's talking about God's God has not finished with his plan for Israel, that he still has a plan for Israel. And he says that the Israel was cut off as the natural branches and the the, the wild branches, of the Gentile branches were grafted in. He's talking about the Gentile church was grafted in to be God's witness on earth uh, and to receive the privilege and responsibility of sharing the truth of the gospel. And then it says in verse 25, "For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, lest you be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles comes in. So the fullness of Gentiles is the complete, exact number of Gentiles or church people that will be saved as part of the church, as part of the Bride of Christ, which would include Jews and Gentiles, but it's predominantly a Gentile church. And so he refers to this as Gentiles instead of Jews. Okay. So the partial hardening means that there will be some Jews that will be a part of this group. But when the church is complete... Then Christ the bridegroom will come back for his bride and take them back to heaven according to first Thessalonians chapter four verse thirteen through seventeen. He will come and we will meet him in the air, and we will be taken back to his father's house, which he has prepared for us a place, and we will be there to stand before him and go before and have the, the, the judgment seat of Christ where we will give a we'll be judged for the works that were produced through us. So until that happens, and until the Jews acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. And until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, the, the kingdom will not begin. Okay? Now, today we're gonna to be talking about the times of the Gentiles. Okay. I'm not a very good. Here you have two things going on: the times of the Gentiles and the 70 weeks of Daniel. The times of the Gentiles begin in 586 BC. So if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Daniel. And we'll start in Daniel chapter 9. So, the situation in Daniel chapter 9 is that Daniel is praying in verse chapter, chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Osiris of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of the years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Now, here Daniel is in Babylon. Part of the exiles have already gone back. They have been gone back to build the temple, and some of the exiles have been returned. This is talking about 70 years that Jerusalem lay in ruins. It's not talking about 70 years of captivity. Most times people get this confused. They think that that there was a 70-year captivity of Babylon. But the actual 70 years is 70 years that, Israel, that Jerusalem was left in ruins because there were three stages of captivities. Daniel and his cohorts were taken first, and then there was, there was three different exiles of people from Israel to Babylon as Nebuchadnezzar was beginning to, to, to control and to dominate the world. So Daniel is praying about... The end of the 70 years of the ruins of Jerusalem. Now what happened in 586 B.C. is that Zedekiah rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar's rule, and Zedekiah had had enough, and he came, comes in and he destroys the city of Jerusalem, knocks down the walls, he destroys the city of Jerusalem, and he takes Zedekiah captive. And this began in 586 B.C. began the 70 years of desolations of Jerusalem. Okay. And that's what Daniel is praying about in chapter 9. He, he's looking at the calendar. We're getting close to the end of the desolation, of the 70 years that, Israel, that Jerusalem has been in ruins, and he's praying about to God about God fulfilling his promise that it's only going to be 70 years. And we understand that because in verse 18 of chapter 9, he's, he's praying in his prayer. He says, O oh my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we are not presenting our supplications before thee on account of any merits of our own, but on account of thy great compassion. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and take, account, take action for thine own sake. O oh my God, do not delay because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. So he's praying and he's offering repentance for the people. He's interceding for the whole nation of Israel as the prophet of Israel. He's interceding on on their behalf. He's repenting on their behalf and he's calling on the the Lord to be faithful to his promise and to be compassionate upon them and to fulfill the promise by letting them go back and have the city be rebuilt again. And so that's what he's praying about. And so in the midst of his prayer... The angel Gabriel comes to him, and he says, "At the beginning, verse twenty-three. At the beginning of your supplications, and the coming, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, to give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision." So, in the middle of his praying about the seventy years of desolation, the angel comes and gives him a vision of seventy sevens of years that God has purpose for Israel, and this is the seventy-seven, the seventy weeks of Daniel. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end to sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Jerusalem was desolated and was remained in desolation for 70 years. Now the command is to go forth and to rebuild Jerusalem." Now, that happened in 445 B.C. So from 586 B.C. to 445 B.C. is 70 years, depending on you're counting the year of 500 or you're not, but it's 70 years. And the, the decree was issued by Artaxerxes, the king then, in 445 B.C. to go and rebuild the city. And that begins the calendar for the 77s of years. It's 490 years. That God has decreed to completely fulfill all the promises to Israel. So these 480, the 490 years are there to fulfill God's promises to Israel. And it begins 70 years after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Now, he goes on and says, From the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. Now, Messiah the Prince is the coming of Jesus to declare himself to be their king. Now, all the way through Jesus' ministry, if you will remember, all the way through the ministry of Jesus on earth, he told his disciples not to declare that he was the king. But then on Palm Sunday, he he commands them to go get a colt to fulfill prophecy of the Old Testament, and he comes riding down the street on the colt, on the of a donkey, and the people are saying what? Hosanna. 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 This is the king. Messiah the prince is presented on this day. Now, I've got a book. Uh, Some of you may have it. Sir Robert Anderson's book, The Coming Prince. And they did the calculations. They went by the Jewish calendar of 360 years, uh, I mean 360 days to a year, and they calculated 173,880 days from the time... Of 445 BC until Messiah the Prince, and in our calendar, it's it's like instead of 483 years, it's 476 years at 365 and a quarter days a year, or 365 days a year. Plus, you had the the leap year days, and the the this began the 445 BC issue of decree was was on. It's so it's about so amazing down to the day, but it was issued on the 14th of March in 445 BC. And he rode down the don- he rode down the, the, the street on the donkey on the sixth of April, in twenty in 32 B.C. and uh, 32 A.D. and the days between on the Roman calendar between 4 45 B.C. and uh, 32 A.D. April the sixth is exactly the 173,880 days on either calendar. It, it's, it's presented as exactly the same days, so. It's exact. The f- fulfillment to the day of the first, the first 483 years of the 490 years of this decreed time period for Israel began in 445 B.C., and the 483 year ended at April the 6th uh, on Palm Sunday in 32 A.D. Which begs the question, if they knew this was part of their Old Testament, why were they like, okay, today's the day that we should be looking for... How many, how many things did they disregard in the Old Testament? <laughs> they disregarded everything they didn't want to hear. Yeah, I guess but, there should have been some that But even that, even that, okay, so, it, so here, we got to the end of the 483 years, and then what happens? It says after, it says then, after the 483rd year, which is the 62 weeks, and the, the, the difference between the seven weeks and the 62 weeks, by the way, The first seven weeks is the the 49 years it took to completely rebuild the city. Okay, so it took 49 years to completely rebuild the city and get it back to where it was. And then, then you go 62 more weeks. And then after that, which is the end of the... It's when Messiah the Prince came and presented himself to be their Messiah. It says, then the Messiah will be cut off, which happened a week later, and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city, which was in 70 AD. And we'll talk about the people uh the princes to come and we'll talk about that we talk about we get into the time of the Gentiles and the Antichrist. So we knew that there was a gap between at least a gap of at least 40 years between the 483rd day of this 490 years that are ordained for Israel and the last seven years. We knew that there's a gap. We just don't know how long the gap was. So now what we know is that at the time of the rejection of Jesus Christ And after he was cut off and he was crucified and he was resurrected from the dead, then we had the day of grace, the church age. And so going parallel with the, the time frame for the 70 weeks of Daniel for Israel preparing for the kingdom and the times of the Gentiles, what you had was you had the Babylonian Empire, we're going to look at it in just a minute, we had the Medes and the Persians Empire, you had the Grecian Empire, and then you had the Roman Empire, which all led up until the same time frame of Jesus on earth. And just like there was a pause or a time frame between the the first 483 years and the last seven years of the times of, of the 70 weeks of Daniel, there was a similar pause in the trotting down of Jerusalem by the Gentile kings because Jerusalem was the, the Jews weren't in Jerusalem. There was no nation. And so as you see the waning of Israel or the desolation of Israel in 70 AD until the restoration or the coming back into Israel now in 1948, the same way you have a waning of the power and control of the Gentile kingdoms And as we see a revival of Israel back in the nation, we're going to see a revival of this empire coming back to place in the last days too. Because he says here, after the 62 weeks, he says, And he will make a firm covenant with the many, speaking of the people of Israel, for one week but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offers, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even till complete destruction, and one that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. So here you have a correlation with the last seven years coming for Israel, which is the tribulation time, and the revival of the Roman Empire with the Antichrist becoming the last ruler at the same time frame, because the purpose of the Roman, uh, the purpose of the Gentile kingdoms is to destroy, is to trod down in Jerusalem and to, well, to judge Israel and God is using these kingdoms to judge Israel until they repent and he comes back to save them as their king. Any questions? I went through that kind of hurriedly. Any questions? So you see the correlations of these time frames that are going on as we get all coming to, to a closure at the second advent of Christ. Okay, let's turn real quickly to Daniel chapter 2 and look at this prophecy in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 concerning this time of the Gentile kingdoms. Now, Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has this dream. And if you remember the story, he dreamed a dream and he called in all the wise men for the wise men to tell him his dream. So he, he could, if they could tell him his dream, he would know that they could interpret the dream correctly. And none of them could do it. So he's going to kill out all the wise men. And Daniel, in his uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are part of that group of wise men. And so Daniel petitions the, the keeper of the wise men to go to the king and say, I can, I'll answer the king's dream. And so he prays and he gets the answer to the vision. So here's the king's dream. In verse 31 of Daniel chapter 2. You, O king, was, were looking and, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue was large. And of extraordinary splendor was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of pure gold, or fine gold, its breasts and its arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found, but the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So that was his dream. you got this huge statue, a head of gold, and then all the way down to the feet of iron and clay. And then at the time of this statue, at the end of the time of this statue, time frame or the, the vision said that a stone came out of heaven and hit the statue on the feet and crushed it and the whole thing fell apart. The whole thing fell and just was destroyed. So the times of the Gentiles will come to an end. So here's the interpretation that Daniel gives um, in verse 36, this was the dream. Now we shall tell the interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the strength, and the glory. And where, wherever the sons of men dwell or the beasts of the field or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them. You are the head of gold. So he's speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, you as the head of Babylon, you are the head of this Gentile kingdom statue that represents the time frame of the Gentile rule. So we start out, obviously, that's very clear. Babylon is the beginning of this time frame. And so then he goes on and says, and after you there will rise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze. So here you have first the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians that take over from Babylon, and then you have the Grecian empire. And if you go through and you study all the way through book Daniel, you know the Grecian empire falls into four categories and then you have this, this little king that comes up out of that, which is a type of the Antichrist that, that comes in and does terrible things in Israel before as, the, as a precursor to the coming Antichrist. And then in verse 40, it talks about the last kingdom, which is the Roman Empire, or begins as a Roman Empire. It says, then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, and in as much as iron crushes and shatters all things. So like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break you know, all these in pieces. In that you saw that the feet and toes partly of potter 's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in its toughness it will have in, in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay, and as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle and in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another even as iron does not combine with pottery so that's a, that is an understanding of the Fourth Kingdom. Now the Fourth Kingdom is the Roman Empire. You know that the Roman Empire divided into East and West Rome. So you had Constantinople in the East, you had Rome on the West, it was divided into uh, two stages, and it's still continuing today in those two stages. So the Eastern half of the Roman Empire turned out to be mainly controlled by Russia and the, uh, the Orthodox uh, Roman Empire, or the Orthodox Church, of Rome. The czars of Russia, the the Russian word for czar is Caesar. I mean, it means Caesar, just like in the German Kaiser, it means Caesar. So you had the east and west. The west is turned into democracies, which is weak from the standpoint of having control over the people. The eastern bloc is ruled by dictators and people that have no there's no democracy, there's no weakness, they have strength. And so now you have the two parts of the Roman Empire, but they don't mix. They're, they're not mixing, and they will continue to be separated all the way to the end of this empire. And that's where we're at today. We're at the, the end of the empire, basically. We're at the, the time of the toes. Verse 44. And in those days, uh, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and it's interpretation is trustworthy. So you had four earthly kingdoms of Gentile rule that dominate Jerusalem from 586 B.C. until Christ comes again. When Christ comes again, he is the stone that comes down out of heaven and crushes that kingdom and sets up another kingdom. If the four previous kingdoms were earthly kingdoms, then the fifth kingdom will also be an earthly kingdom. There are similar kingdoms, okay? The first four are Gentile kingdoms. The last kingdom is a Jewish kingdom. So the Jewish king will be the last king that destroys the the Gentile kingdoms and will set up an earthly kingdom that will take the place of these kingdoms, and this earthly kingdom will never be destroyed. It will last forever. So that's what you get out of this first prophecy that was made to Nebuchadnezzar. Any questions about the first one? Okay, let's go to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel gets a vision... It's a different kind of vision in the sense that it has different characters, but it is talking about the same thing. In Daniel chapter 7, it says, In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed that he wrote the dream down and related the following summary of it. Daniel said, I was looking on my vision, in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts were coming up from the sea different from one another. The first one was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. I kept looking till its wings were plucked, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a human mind also was given to it. That's a reference to Nebuchadnezzar losing his mind and then being brought back. And behold, another beast, the second one, resembling a bear, and it was turned up on one side, which means that one, the Medes or the Persians, one was stronger than the other. And it was raised up on one side, and three ribs were in its mouth between its teeth, and there was, does it. They said it to it, Arise, devour much meat. After this I kept looking, and behold, another one like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong. It had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it. Behold, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great beast. I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the ancient days took his seat... His vesture was white, was like white snow, and the hair of his head was pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. His, his, its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were tending him, and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. And the court sat, and the books were open. And then I kept looking, because the sound of the boastful words with the, the horn was speaking. I kept looking, and the beast was slain, and his body was destroyed and given to the burning fire. As for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but an extension of life was granted. Them for an appointed uh, period of time. I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, the clouds of heaven, like one like the Son of Man, was coming. He came up to the ancient of days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, and thus all that all the people, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So again, Daniel's vision is similar to Nebuchadnezzar's dream, but it gives further details about especially the end of the Gentile kingdoms. And so Daniel gives the interpretation. Verse 17, These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will rise up on the earth, or from the earth. But the saints of the highest one receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and all ages to come. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceeding dreadful, and its teeth of iron and claws of brine, of which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with his feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boast, which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the ancient days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings will arise and another will rise after them. He will be different from the previous ones and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High and word down the saints of the highest one. He will intend to make alterations in times and law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. So this is talking about the end of the Gentile kingdoms, and the last stage of the Gentile kingdoms involves ten kings and another king that rises up with them, after them, And he will subdue three of them, and then he will have the opportunity to completely control and rule the world for 42 months. A time, times, and a half a time. So, Daniel's prophecy about the coming uh, tribulation time and the Antichrist is going to be there in that time. Is agreed with in the book of Revelation. So, go to the book of Revelation Now, we're going to go in detail when we get to this point of going through the chronology of the book of Revelation, but I just want to give you the overview of that now. So, in Daniel chapter 11, 11, 12, and 13 are the events at the middle of the tribulation. It's the time when the abomination of desolation occurs. It's the time when all these things are taking place that happen. The first thing is there's war in heaven. And the, it says in verse 9, The great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of O, of o who is called the devil, and his Satan, was just, was, who deceives the whole world, was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So here he is, at the midpoint, there's a war in heaven, and no longer has Satan access to go before the throne of God and accuse the brethren. In fact, it goes down in verse 12, and it says... For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. Which chapter? Yeah. Revelation chapter 13. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, 12. 12. 12, verse. I read verse 9 in chapter 12, and then verse 12, chapter 12. So the devil is cast down to earth. He has a short time, and what does he do? It says in verse, uh, when it, in verse 13, And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, which is talking about Israel, because in the first part of chapter 12, he talks about Israel uh, as being the woman. And, and, and two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman in order that she might fly into the wilderness to her place, which was where she was nourished for a time, times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. The same three and a half years that Daniel talked about is the same time frame that the that the Satan is going to be trying to destroy Israel. That's why Jesus says in Matthew twenty four, when you see the abomination desolation, which occurs at the same time here, at the middle of the tribulation, when you see the abomination desolation, get out of Israel, get out of Jerusalem, flee. You got to flee. He's going to kill you. Two thirds of all the Jews will be killed in the second half of the tribulation. It's the time of Jacob's trouble in which two thirds of all the Jews will be killed. And a third will be saved to go into the millennium kingdom. But this, this, this beast or this false prophet is mentioned here in chapter 13. So the dragon is Satan who is cast down to earth. In verse 1 of chapter 13, he stood on the sand of the seashore. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea having ten horns and seven heads. These are the same ten horns that were spoken of in Daniel. And on his head were... Blasphemous names, and the beast which I saw was like a leopard and his feet were like those of a bear and his mouth like the mouth of a lion and the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority and I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain and he was his fatal wound was healed and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the, the beast and they worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying who is like the beast and who is able to "...to wage war with him, and there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemous and authority to act for 42 months." Same as Daniel, this is the Antichrist, this is the prince to come that is going to rule for the last 42 months. Now, real quickly, in chapter uh, 13, verse uh, verse 14, it says, "...he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him to perform in the presence of the beast." telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and had come to life. So the Antichrist will be killed in his warfare to take over the ten kings, and then he will be brought back to life. And that will cause the amazement of the world, and they will worship him, and then they will be instructed to take his mark of the beast. Now, one other thing about the ten kings. In chapter 17 of Revelation... You have mention of the, of Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, and of the abominations of the earth. It says there in verse 3, it says, He carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. And then he goes on down there and talks about the, the Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. This is the one-world religious system of the first half of the tribulation – that kills the saints that become, that become believers in the first half of the tribulation and martyr they martyrs the saints. And therefore, it says in verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And then it says here in verse 8, The beast that you saw was and is not is about to come up out of the abyss. To go into destruction, and those who dwell on the earth will wonder, whose name has not been written in the book of life, from the foundation of the world. When they see the beast that he was is not, and will come, here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and there are seven kings. Five are fallen. One is another has not yet come, and when he comes, he will must remain for a little while. The beast which was and is not himself is also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. So he's talking about the seven heads. Seven heads are seven rulers of Rome, successive rulers. Five have already died. One is, which is the one current, and the, the Antichrist is the one that will, that will be killed, and therefore he will become the eighth, but he's one of the seven. These are seven, and I don't know which ones they are, but they're seven rulers of the, of the Gentile kingdoms, that lead up into the last ruler, which is the Antichrist, who is the seventh and the eighth, because he is the seventh, and then he gets killed, and then he comes back, so they call him the eighth. These are successive kings. Now, the ten kings are current kings with him. In verse 12, And the ten horns, which you saw, are ten kings who have not, have, who have yet, who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. And these have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. So these are ten kings that are going to be present during the tribulation time, or at the beginning of the tribulation time. When the Antichrist is going to come to power, he's probably going to have an orchestrated political system that he's going to use to gain power around the whole world. And there's going to be ten districts, or ten administrations, or ten kingdoms, or ten nations that are going to be involved in this one world system of government. And the leaders of these 10 nations or 10 kingdoms are gonna be given their power by the false religious system and by the Antichrist who has brought this system into place. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to pursue taking over all the kingdoms themselves. And they fight back and there's a war. And three of these kings are killed, and the rest of them submit to him. And he becomes the king of the last 42 months. One world dictator. Now, he gets killed, but he's brought back to life. And then he has the power instilled with him from Satan, and he is the one that's going to rule. At this point in time, he goes into the temple of the, of the Jews, and he does the abomination and desolation, and he says... No more will you be allowed to worship your God, to offer sacrifices to your God, you have to worship me. And he puts his image in the Holy of Holies and creates the abomination, of desolation, and requires everyone to worship him as God. At the same time, he destroys that mystery Babylon. He destroys that religious system and says, There's no more need for a religious system. I'm God, you worship me. And so therefore he destroys the mystery Babylon. At the midpoint, it says right there, it says in verse 16, And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose, that by giving them their kingdom to the beast until the word of of God should be fulfilled. So they give their, kingdom, their kingdoms to the beast, and he becomes a one-world dictator, and they join in and destroy the one-world religious system, and now everybody will worship the Antichrist and take the mark of the beast. Okay, that's an overview about the, the times of Gentiles, and we will go into detail when we get to the, the, the chronology of the Revelation. There will be those who have being saved during this time? Yes, throughout the Tribulation. There will be those who are saved. Gentiles and Jews. So he imitated the resurrection. Is he going to say he is Christ himself? Uh, what is he, or is... Satan is wanting to emulate God. And so Satan is trying to orchestrate an unholy trinity, which he does, by bringing back to life this Antichrist. So he have the dragon who represents himself to be God, And then you have the Antichrist or the beast that is represented to be the son. And then you have the false prophet that is represented to be the Holy Spirit. So during the second half of the tribulation, this is the third woe judgment, which is a supernatural empowerment of Satan to be like God for three and a half years and have the control of this earth. And that's what he's trying to do. That's why it's going to be so devastating. That's the great tribulation. That's the time of Jacob's trouble. That's the time when Satan rules the earth for the last four and a half years. Now, to finish up today, um, I want to share with you what we talked about last night. About, if you remember, last week we talked about when they were coming out of the temple, the disciples were talking about the temple, and Jesus says, Not one stone will be left upon another until it's all destroyed. And then the disciples asked him a question They said, What will be the sign that this will happen? And what will be the sign that this age is over and the kingdom age is coming? And so they're looking for signs. And we talked about you have to understand Scripture to understand the signs, okay? So if you go to Luke chapter 21, the first question was about the destruction of Jerusalem. Luke chapter 21. I'm sorry, did I say 11. Luke chapter 21. So in the Luke passage, Jesus is explaining to his disciples about what their question was. Now in Matthew's passage in chapter 24, he just ignores their question about the temple being destroyed. He doesn't deal with it at all. He just goes straight to the end of the age. But in Luke, he starts out by going to the end of the age. He starts out by saying in verse 8, See to it that you, not be, you, you, you be not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them, and, while, and you will hear of wars and disturbances. Do not be terrified, for these things must take place, but the end has, does not, has not yet arrived. It does not fall immediately. Then he, said, then he continued by saying to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places plagues, famines, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. This is the beginning of the tribulation. This is the beginning of the seven years. Okay? So he said, he said, then this is the the beginning of the birth pangs that lead to the kingdom age. Then he says in verse 12, but before the beginning of the birth pangs, and so from verse 12 all the way down to verse 24, this is going to happen prior to the end. And included in that is this passage. It says in verse 20, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize her desolation as a hand. So the sign that the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple that will take place is the surrounding of Jerusalem by armies. So it says, when you see, now who is the you? It's not the disciples. He's talking about the disciples. he's talking to the disciples. He's giving them the instruction. And they're going to write this in the book, in the Revelation. Or at least Matthew is. But he's not talking to the disciples. He's not talking to anyone but those living at the time that the Roman army surrounds Jerusalem in seventy AD. Is this after the rapture? Yes. No, no, no. This is seventy AD. This is before the beginning of the end. Okay, so here he's talking about the promise that Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed. He said, when you see armies, then get out of Jerusalem. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. And so what happened in 78? It got bad. And that's what he says. It says here, he says, because there were, these are days of vengeance, verse twenty-two. These are days of vengeance, in order that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Woe to those who are with child and to those who nurse babes in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by, this, by the edge of the sword, and will be led captive to all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So, this is what happened in seventy A.D. They were dispersed. They were this, Jerusalem was destroyed. There was no more Jewish state. The Jews were scattered all over the world. And until 1948, there was no Jewish nation. And that's what he said. But the sign was for the people living at the time of that destruction. And when they saw the army surround Jerusalem, they were told to get out. That was the sign. Okay, the second sign is... uh, Turn to Matthew 24. And this is a sign for us. Now, there's no sign that the rapture is coming. There's no sign that's going to say the rapture's coming, okay? But this is the exhortation for us living at this time. You go through Matthew 24, and Jesus starts out by saying the same thing. You'll hear wars and rumors of war, nation will rise against race. These are the beginning of birth pains. In verse 15, you have the abominable desolation, which is the middle of the tribulation. He goes all the way through, and then he has the return of Christ in verse 29 to the earth. And then he says the parable of the fig tree. And the parable of the fig tree is similar in that who is he talking about? So the, par- the parable of the fig tree is that when you see the branch having leaves on the fig, fig tree, you know that summer is near and you're going to have figs. And so also, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right near the door. So who is he talking to there? The people that are seeing the signs of the tribulation. The the people that are experiencing the plagues of the tribulation. The people that are seeing the events of the tribulation, the the signs in the heavens, the, the nation against nation, the abomination desolation. He says... Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So the generation that sees the tribulation events will see the end of the tribulation. Okay? And they will see the coming kingdom. Now, the admission to those that are living prior to the beginning of the tribulation, because we, he finishes up that passage by saying heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So everything he said is going to come true. Now he goes back to the ones living now or living during the age before the judgment's coming. He says, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, nor the Father. That day or hour he's referring to is the day that the Lord, the day of the Lord begins, the day that the judgment begins, the day that the second advent begins. No one knows that day. But it will be a day, it says, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. So just like it was in the days of Noah, they didn't know when the flood was coming, but they were being told by Noah that it was coming and Noah was building an ark preparing for the coming of flood. And so just like in the days of Noah, we have an exhortation in Hebrews chapter 10. In Hebrews chapter 10, we have an exhortation to live consistently as Christians until he comes again. So in chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we have an exhortation as the ones who are seeing the day drawing near. Now, what day are we seeing draw near? No. The The coming judgment. There's no sign for the rapture. That's why we, we don't see the... We, you can't see the rapture drawing near. Well, you can because you see the judgment drawing near. And you know the, the rapture occurs prior to the judgment. So you're right. You see the rapture. But you're not seeing a sign of the rapture. You're seeing a sign of the coming judgment. Okay? So as we see the world preparing for judgment, just like in the days of Noah, they saw Noah finishing the ark and knew that the time, if it was going to happen, it would happen when Noah finished the ark. Now we're seeing the things happening in the world that are leading to the time of the Antichrist, the time of the judgment of God. And as we know that the rapture takes place before that, then we see that day drawing near. Okay, So that's the exhortation to us, is to to make sure that we see that. Um, So if you're looking to understand the passages of Scripture that say that there are certain signs or certain events, and when you see these things, know that they're going to to take place, understand who he's talking to, that he's talking to the people that are alive at that time that will see the things happen. And for us today, the only thing we have to look forward to is the coming and the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's coming, and we are blessed because we're those who love his appearing. And it says there, and go back to Luke, chapter 21, just like in the passage in Matthew 24 when he said it will be like the days of Noah. In Luke chapter 21, as he, as, he, as he goes back and he finishes this thing about the fig tree and the parable of the fig tree and those that live in that generation will, not, will see all these things take place. Then he says, heaven and earth will, not, will pass away, but my words will not pass away, which ends his segment on the time of the tribulation. But then again, in verse 34, he says to us, to our generation, that precedes the time of judgment. He says, Be on guard that your hearts may not be weighed down, weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of life, and that that day come on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all those who dwell on the face of all the earth. That day is the day of judgment that's coming, that's going to come upon all those who dwell on the face of the earth. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, when it says, when they say peace and safety, it escapes their notice that they're fixing to be destroyed. And that's what he's saying here. Be alert, be ready, but keep on the alert at all times. Praying in order that you may have strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The only strength that you can have to escape these things is have the righteousness of God in you. If you have the righteousness of God in you, you will be raptured out and then you will stand before the Son of Man, which is the judgment seat of Christ, which occurs during the time of judgment upon earth. There's the judgment seat of Christ in heaven for the church saints. So the church saints will stand before the the throne of the judgment seat of Christ, and we will be judged for our works, or the works that the Spirit of God did through us, the spiritual giftedness. They will be evaluated, and we will receive rewards. At the same time, that judgment is falling upon the earth, and the wrath of God is being poured out upon those who are going undergoing the judgment of the tribulation. Okay, we'll stop there. Any questions? All right this this sect this this section. There's one more section before we get into the details of the second advent, the details of the book of Revelation. We've had God's promises to Israel last week. This today was the the proclamation of his judgment upon the Gentile nations that will end with the judgment of the Antichrist that will be a part of the chronology of Revelation. And then next week we'll talk about the bridegroom coming for his bride. And all these three facets are part of the second advent of Christ. He's coming for his church, he's coming to judge the world, and he's coming to save Israel. All are the events of the second advent or second coming of Christ. Okay, so next week we'll talk about the purpose of God in coming for his bride, the church.